welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and oh my goodness, I know we had a couple weeks off and I am okay with that because I want to let you know that this year of the Detox Podcast in 2023, we are anchoring around a theme. So this particular theme is reconnection. Now that can mean a couple different things, how we're choosing to use the theme of reconnection this year. It's thinking about revisiting spaces, familiar spaces, familiar patterns with new information than you had previously. How does that impact the relationships, the situations? How does that move? How does that transform? How do you evolve from one state to the other? And so much like the Detox podcast, where it started out trying to be a educational uh, inclusive parenting podcast. Now we're revisiting some of those early themes with the knowledge that we have on various ways to make a more inclusive world. It always comes down to these reconnections, these relationships, these opportunities to have these one-on-one conversations, whether being recorded for the podcast or whether in real life uh, and not being recorded, right, for the podcast. Um, it's still that opportunity to build on lessons that you learn. So I'm really excited for a lot of great things we have in the works for this year. But today's episode, I'm super excited because I get to speak to Jay Demerit. He was a veteran of the 2010 U.S. Men's National Team World Cup squad. I saw Jay play for the 2009 Confederations Cup squad, 2010 World Cup squad, when he played for the Vancouver Whitecaps after that, and when he played for Watford even before that. Jay has had an incredible career where he started out not being drafted, uh, but being an All-American U.S. defender, not getting drafted in MLS, trying his luck in England, paying his dues, starting on the ninth tier of English soccer, sitting on the bench, to captaining Watford in the English Premier Division and getting a chance to play for the U.S. national team. It's an incredible story of hard work, definitely of reconnections, and of believing in yourself. It is an absolute delight, and I think you're going to love my conversation with Jay. But before we get there, I do want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on nostalgia overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. And by Self Unbound. Your quality of life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, is a direct reflection of the level of abundant energy, ease, and connection your nervous system has to experience your life. At Self Unbound, your nervous system takes center stage as we help unbind your limited healing potential through network spinal care. Access the first steps to your unbound journey by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or at www.selfunbound.com. Now, without further ado, my conversation with Jay Demerit is right up after this. (music) 
Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, he was a center back for the 2010 U.S. Men's National Team at the World Cup in South Africa. He has an incredible documentary that was chronicling his career, and I can't believe I'm actually going to talk to him. Jay Demerit. Jay, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on the show. I was talking to you a little bit about this before we got started, but I was ex- I'm excited to have you on the show because you were a part of the U.S. men's national team cycle at a time uh, that I was heavily following. I would say the entire player pool, everybody coming in and out. Obviously, the 2009 Confederations Cup, the 2010 World Cup. We'll go into some of those details in a little bit. But this was a period of time where I was really keyed in to the World Cup. I think it also helped that at the at that time I was nearing the end of my college career or at finished my college career at that point. And so my buddies, we would get together, we would watch the games. There was a big camaraderie. And obviously I'm a huge fan now, but in that particular time, it was sort of this magical moment where I felt like this U.S. team had a lot of like uh, just energy. I think I used the word spunk. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily right, but it's it was sort of a different level um, than I think what characterizes a U.S. team typically in some articles is maybe this grit factor. And that was definitely there, but it definitely felt like this sort of, we come together and we can conquer all. And this mm-hmm. optimism and spirit that, that I, I hadn't seen uh, up until that point. And I loved it. So I just wanted to, to talk to you uh, before we even dive into your career, uh, your beginnings and everything else. I want to talk to you about what, what it meant for you to sort of take the field in South Africa. And then even, I'm even getting ahead of myself. Let me back up a bit and say, here at the Detox Podcast, I invite listeners to quote unquote detox from the world around them and get a window into how other people live their lives. Uh, I almost forgot this initial question because I was so excited to talk to Jay Merritt. but I would say, uh, I like to start every episode by asking my guest, Jay, what are you detoxing from? Oof, that's a good off the top question. Um, let's see. Well, it's about, I'm about to do a dry February, so I'm about to detox off of my holiday spirit. All right. All right. All right. Um, that's, that's one. Um, I'm trying to detox off the uh, inauthenticity of humans. Hmm. Um, that's kind of what I do now. Uh, but in a way kind of tying it all into what you're talking about with the national team that I was so fortunate to play on is that it was full of authentic humans. And and I think, you know, I think that's what we we're, 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 we're on our phones all day creating inauthenticity in our worlds, mm. you know, what we look like, what, what we feel like, what we're, our lives are like, um, how we, how we judge each other, how we, uh, how we misjudge each other. All of them are relevant in this world of, uh, inauthenticity. And as I think, you know, I think for me, I'm trying to detox from that, not only from my personal life, being more authentic in my, in my truth and in my character, but also surrounding myself with people that are, that are, that are trying to do the same. Cause I think it's, you know, again, we're getting a little bit out of control uh, in how we treat each other and, and how we respect each other. And uh, so I'm trying to detox from some of that stuff. That is so incredible. There's two, there's two thoughts I had when you talked about the, the inauthenticity of humans is that one, I find it is, <laughs> I was ha- it's always interesting to me, and perhaps it shouldn't be, but it's always interesting to me how some of the same some you you I've noticed, especially recently, I seem to have some of the same themes of conversations in a day. They just happen to line up where I'm. It's one topic being carried through, or one thread being carried through. This being one of them in this particular case, where I, it is so easy for me to want to um, 
almost tune out of of being a, a collaborative partner in this particular example that I'm thinking of. And I want to be frustrated. I want to um, not focus in. I want to just kind of be above um, this other person that, that perhaps I'm trying to work with. And I have to stop and pause and think about how, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to connect with this individual to get something done. And I need to be authentic. I don't need to be distant. I don't need to be anything other than who I am so we can be collaborative. And we do, and, and life moves on. But it's so easy to kind of get sucked into that in inauthenticity, especially because the world around us. I This other thought it leads me into, I mentioned this on a previous episode, I saw a video of making an Instagram post. And this person had this beautiful, like, wonderful, like, do-it-yourself type thing that was set up on a table. The angles were all right. And then it panned back and it showed this person, like, hunched over in this, like, warehouse where it was just, like, a box size. Mm-hmm. Um, I think frame. I saw that. Yeah. And it was just, like, yeah, here's think, everything goes in our new. I think in our new profiles, we should have our best photo of ourselves. And then with that is paired with the worst photo of ourselves. And that's the only way you get on the platform. I like it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> it. When I was even saying to you earlier, you know, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm building uh, like a gamification education platform for with EA, the big video game company. And it's kind of trying to start solve these types of solutions of how do you create authenticity online? How can you actually validate that you are authentic? What do you actually look like? So one of the things that we're doing is actually um, taking away the profile photos. We're, we're, we're putting, it's instead of your face, it's your brain mm-hmm. split into the nine forms of intelligence. And so as you learn from all these, you know, different people and institutions and ways that you can participate in the content, you learn more about yourself, but each of those things is tied to one of the nine forms. And so not only are you learning about all sorts of holistic versions of, of, of this life, but you're getting points for them. And at the same time, you're watching your own brain grow instead of what we do now is that we post a picture and then we wait for validation from everybody oh, else yes. before we before, before we validate ourselves and that's inauthentic and so the idea is is like how what if what if you could you know take a online lesson from gordon ramsay he could he could show you how to cook you could show him through the technology that you actually can chop an onion in less than a minute and get some more points or you could do a push-up contest with the physio from the bulls or you could um you know do an acting lesson with uh, someone from the Marvel comics and show that you're acting with them just by setting up your phone and, and doing a challenge that we all know how to do now. And so within that, not only are you getting points with the authentic version of how you practice in this world, every one of those pieces is going back to your dashboard, which is your brain showing you what's going on in your head and how you're enjoying this time and what gain, what you're gaining confidence from. And then you at the same time, get a better authentic version of who you actually are. I love that because at the end of the day, we want the ability to be curious, to learn and grow and have that community. And I think when we engage with some of these tools, um, using social media as a tool here, we run the risk of diving headfirst into a sea of constant validation or a need for constant validation and and it is a endless cycle and it's hard to be pulled out of it in order to get to a point where your brain can grow and you can then get that stimulation and that sense of community and creativity and curiosity that you're yearning for um, without 
ooh, I only got one like on this post and I bared my soul. What does that say about me? Right? Like no one, no one wants to feel that way. That's yeah. A or, or I can, I can actually through the chat section. If I've never even met you, I can tell you that you suck. Right, I can tell right. you that you're ugly. I can tell you that you're not like me, and I and I've never even met you, but yet I'm sitting there, and am I believing that? Like, a lot of young people are. I know that they're like, oh well, Jimmy, who I didn't meet, said that, so I now have fear and anxiety that I'm not that, and so now I'm already guessing, my, you know, guessing in my life, and I'm already creating an inauthentic version of who I am based on some dude or girl that I've never met right. that I'm gaining validation from. It's just, it's so backwards, but it's so what is actually in front of us right now. It's so what is happening. And so, you know, again, we need to do things about that. We need to create greater tools. We need to create a better understanding from the user and authenticity perspective of that user. We got to make sure that if I'm using this thing, I'm being validated for me, not being validated by others for that. Exactly. You know, and speaking of authenticity, one of the things that I love about your career is how, uh, how God honest, authentic it is. I mean, just the, the actual story of you coming and sort of having the, the tryout with Watford and then getting all of the way to starting in the world cup is incredible. And it's, it blew my mind. I remember when I heard about your story, um, I was actually studying overseas in London at the time, tried to make it out to a Watford game, did not, went to Millwall, um, Super Millwall. That's uh, the the team that I support. <laughs> and people are always surprised that I uh, made it out unscathed. And what I tell you what, uh, naivety is incredible because I didn't know anything <laughs> about Millwall. Well, it. <laughs> If the den can't teach you about the English football and not, no, no other place can. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I, I heard, read your story and it was incredible. And then um, I drug my wife to see, uh, I say drug tongue in cheek, but we went to see the Jay DeMere documentary when it was in theaters, found the theater in Dallas. It was playing at, and then just watched the story unfold. So, I want you to help us wind the clock back for those that are listening, going, what is going on? We'll post the show links and everything um, or the links in the show notes for you to go and educate yourself, but wind the clock back for us. Um, what were some of your earliest days like in Wisconsin growing up um, playing? I think what you played three, three different sports growing up. Is that correct? I did. Uh, I played soccer, basketball, and track. And I, you know, like I, again, I came up from a middle-class family. Both my parents were gym teachers and coaches. And so, you know, I was around educators. My grandpa and grandma were both teachers and coaches too. So I was just, I was around sports, education, but again, I didn't, I wasn't this touted freshman out of some all American place. Like I was just from green Bay, Wisconsin. I played four sports until I was 18. I played basketball in the winters, ran track in the spring. Uh, I played soccer in the in the fall, but and then soccer again in the summer, obviously for the summer programs right. and things and through, through the clubs. But I never left Green Bay until I was 18. And so, again, I was a little bit of an anomaly. And and, I, and it's hard to really put that into context right now because, it, you know, again, like there's so many different teams and there's so many levels now. There's USL1, USL2, yeah. you know, as well as MLS. And so, like, I, I, I agree that I didn't have those opportunities at that time, which I may have now. So it's hard to kind of compare, but sure. Um, one of the things I I appreciated about about my experience was 
is, is the multi, multi, multi-level approach of how I was developed. You know, I was, I was running, I was playing with teams of one, I was playing in teams of five, I was playing or not teams of one, but like I was doing individual sports. I was playing in basketball, which is teams of five, you know, all of those things from a developmental standpoint are different. Yep. You know, how do you talk to four people in motion? How do you talk to 11 in motion for 45 straight minutes with no stoppages? How do you actually sit there and, and run a 300 meter hurdle with eight other people and you got to stay in your lane and it's you versus you. And if you win, then get even better, you know, but it's a race against the clock and that's you versus you at the end of the day, it's your time. And so, you know, all of those things from a mentality point to a, a winning and losing to a coachability between different elements all of those things for me were so important to my development because when I got to Chicago, again, I got one scholarship offer out of high school and it was in great to green Bay, UW green Bay, small division one school. And I, and then basically my, the ex UW green Bay coach, I didn't want to stay in my hometown. I was someone that wanted to leave. I, you know, that was just my personality. There's a lot sure. of young athletes that want to stay in their hometown. That's fair too. Uh, that, that's great. You want to stay with your family, do your things, do it. That's cool too. But for me, I wanted to test myself against some bigger markets, get out of green Bay but I had very, very little opportunity. And so again, my, my high school coach happened to be the ex coach at the university. And so he called UIC, it's the same, you know, conferences as, as, as UW green Bay, small division one. And he goes, you know, to the coach, he said, I got a kid up here. I, I you know, you know, I know the level. He says, maybe you could take a, maybe you could take a chance and, and, and see you got any scholarship money left. And so he agreed because he trusted this guy. He said, sure, I'll give him a $2,000 a semester scholarship. And so, again, I had to pay out-of-state tuition for the first year and a half until I ended up getting a full ride because I had went to the Chicago, you know, sat in the back of the line, yeah. was almost got, almost got redshirted, changed my position from a forward to a defender. And all within that time, within one year, I became an all-conference second-team defender wow. coming from nowhere. Yeah. And so that kind of started my that started my journey because then as an 18 year old, I, I, I finally learned that I was a pretty good soccer player. Again, I, I knew where I was. I knew I was in a small division one school. I wasn't at Duke and Clemson and all these places that, you know, guys get drafted from. Right. But I was I was still going to school for design. I went to school for the arts. I finished my degree and as I came out of college. You know, again, I was honorable mention All-American, which means that you're on the piece of paper, but you're not really going to get picked. And that's exactly what happened to me. Uh, I was on a piece of paper that said I was one of the best college soccer players, but there's only so many draft picks and there's so many players and, and, and I didn't get picked. You know, that was my first kind of bit of adversity to say, oh, well, maybe I am not good enough or maybe, you know, I, I need to go be a designer because that's that's pretty cool, too. And I had these I had a really in- interesting dialogue with myself then. Uh, but at the same time, I played with a kid from England that summer and he's like, I'm moving back to London to live with my mom. You should come with me. I yeah. think your game suits the English game. And so either way, again, you don't get drafted. You're on the bottom ring, right? And I'm right. like, okay, either either way, I'm on the bottom bottom ring of that ladder. Now I got I to gotta figure out how I'm going to work my way up. And I looked at England as an opportunity. I knew it, the line is longer. Again, I always talk to, the, you know, to people about if you're standing in line for the opportunity that you're working with, how many people are in front of you? <laughs> yeah. And I was, uh, I look at the line I was in when I got to England as a 23 year old American with, you know, a, a decent college reputation, but zero professional experience, zero opportunity in the professional game. You know, you, you got to think there was thousands and thousands of people in front of me in England, the biggest soccer jungle in the world. So I knew what I was in for, but again, I saw that light is so much bigger at the end of the tunnel in England than it was in America at the time. You know, if I sign a contract with a 
you know, a, an MLS team as a walk-on, I'm picking up 18K a year for three straight years. They're sewing me up. They're going to have yeah. to sell me if I want to go somewhere else. Like, it didn't work for me. And I was like, right. I got to go try to find another opportunity. There's lots of opportunity out there. People forget in America and North America that this is the world's game. There's, yeah. there's more opportunity elsewhere than there is in your own country. So, you know, I think we forget that sometimes or we think it's too daunting. It's too scary. And, and for me, those weren't things that were in my brain. Again, I had a roof to stay under in London. Uh, still an awesome city even on a social realm so i'm like i'm gonna go live in london for a little bit see what happens again that i was in pretty dire straits i was living in an attic making 40 pounds in an envelope <laughs> playing in the ninth division sitting as a sub when i got to england so i'm playing in the yeah. ninth division making 40 pounds under a student name um and and that's where i started with thousands of people in front of me but you know at the end of the day for me it was an opportunity and and, and an opportunity i was ready for and willing to fight for um with some patience and a bit of humility and a lot of hard work you know, it's um, the story is just incredible. What's so incredible? So I would say you probably boiled down the the contents of so many years worth of life, and then definitely like you know over an hour's worth of documentary into like five minutes, right? Five ten minutes or so, and and there's so much life that happens, um, so much life that happens in there, and something that is really astounding to me. So there's a couple things that I want folks to. To understand that I want to put into into context for us. And one of those is the fact that you mentioned you didn't get drafted. Obviously, at this time period, MLS is not the behemoth that it is now. I mean, right now there's, geez, what is it, 39, 38 teams? Maybe that's not correct. Um, uh, I lost count of the last total. But St. Louis is about to join the league, which is increasing it. Um, and it's it. there's quite a few teams at this point. And but back then, there were not that many, and the markets were pretty limited. And as you said, the draft picks, you only had so many. And we also have to remember for, for listeners that the the ability of watch – I mean, I take for granted, and I think so, so many people do too, the ability to watch uh, the second and third tier in England, let alone the like Spanish Cups and all of these different like leagues – in all these different streaming platforms at any given day. I watched the Australian A-League like a couple months ago on on ESPN Plus, and I've never watched the A-League before, right? But it's just, it's right at your fingertips. But back then, you don't have that luxury. Um, and so people do forget that it's a whole world out there. So for you to say, you know what? I've literally got nothing to lose. I'm just going to head over to England and see what I can do with 40 pounds in an envelope and and sleeping on a couch and just trying to make it work playing in the ninth division of England is, is incredible. And then getting the opportunity to play for Watford, getting the trial, getting the full contract, getting to the men's world cup team. I want to, I want to talk about what is, you mentioned something that I want to kind of key in on. You talked about how, when you first, when you didn't get drafted and you had this mentality of maybe I'm not good enough, you know, yes, I've been doing real well. I'm one of the best defenders in the, in, in the country based on uh, these honors, but yet I'm not getting picked. So what does that say about me? Um, talk to me about sort of the juxtaposition between that mentality, that almost, almost imposter syndrome, like, and the mentality of I'm going to go, I'm going to grit it out. I'm going to see what I can make of myself. How did you balance those two um, perspectives as you were in England trying to make it? 
I, again, I think the battle is between your opportunities that are actually in front of you and the way you think about yourself, you know, and again, how you unlock the way you think about yourself is by having a true feedback program of experience, right? So it's like, you know, I was playing at a decent level or I was playing in England with a guy that's, let's just say, just got released from a fourth division club, right? So all of a sudden I'm, pre- I'm testing myself against him at training. He's saying, oh man, you're a pretty good player. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a good indicator that I'm at that level, right? So then I'm starting to, you know, play non-league and I'm playing against good players or ex-good players that were a little bit older in their careers. They come down or there's some up-and-comers in the lower leagues. Again, like I was in a place where the concentration of player in England was really high. You know, so many people, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the country's game. Like, you know what I mean? So everyone plays it. There's lots of different levels to test yourself against. And then most of the time, because that filter is so much smaller in England, you know, you get seen more. You, there's, there's more opportunity to find opportunity. <laughs> you know yeah. and so for me that's that's really what i looked at it as like if i'm humble in my approach to feedback which again it's like i started playing against that player I, I play against you know my buddy's buddy's a scout and he was at the game and i'd be like hey like what did you think about my game like what if you were looking at me you know what what would you say and then it's like it's just getting true feedback and a lot of times you know are we getting true feedback or are we just waiting to hear what we want to hear and then we can't grow and so for me, I was, I was, I was into real feedback because I didn't have yeah. a lot of time. I was 23. Like I had a couple opportunities maybe. And now, and that was about it. But by the time you're, you know, 24 or 25, like, yeah, yeah. Right. So I was kind of like, I looked at that. I looked at the opportunities. I looked at, um, true fight, true, humble feedback, good and bad. Of course, you have to ask both sides of that coin to, to really start to get true feedback. And, uh, and, and, but then again, everything started getting better. I would have more better. I would have better reviews. And by the next week I had the scout buddy who told the scout buddy. And then all of a sudden I'm getting uh, an invite in my first season up to like a third division team called Shrewsbury. Yeah. And I had another third division trial called Oxford, which is another area around there. So again, I go out and play both Oxford. I got three minutes in my trial game. So I look at that as not a failure as just a missed opportunity because I never actually got my opportunity. But again, like the failure of that would be like, oh, mom, I got this tryout. Check this out. How did you do, Jay? Well, I played three minutes. Oh, well, that's a bad feeling. You know, like that, that, like that you think that's a failure. But I was like, I I never let that get me down because at the end of the day, that was an opportunity to jump six divisions. So again, look at jumping six divisions, not at that exact (laughs) opportunity. So am I improving? Am I getting better? If I look at that as my trajectory as a young athlete, keep doing what you're doing. Just because you didn't make that team, you hop six divisions in a year. Yeah. And so I, that's the way I kept focused. That's the way I stayed positive. Um, and, and the fact that I was getting those opportunities was enough for me to come back. So, again, I got those opportunities at the first year. Yeah, neither of them worked out. Um, but I knew that I was getting third third division opportunities. So what if I – and I had a bit of a reputation. So then I'm like, I'm coming back. And that's yeah. when the Watford trial happened because my non, non-league, non-league coach – he went to a different team who happened to be playing against Watford in that preseason friendly. And so he's like, you got to come this first division team just below the Premier League. We're playing again. They're, they're a local team called Watford. He's like, just come do preseason with uh, with us. He's like, I know you got a couple third division opportunities. Maybe you should you know, keep moving it, but come, come play against them first, do preseason, and then you never know. And so sure enough, I just made that decision because, again, that's a great opportunity. And I, again, I did preseason. I was fit. I was ready. And and as the story goes, you know, they put out their first team against us in that friendly. So I got to play against an Icelandic international and an England international. So, again, I get to test myself against some of the world's best players 
And then that coach sees that. He's like, whoa, what's yeah. up with this kid? And then my coach was like, he's like, funny, he's just play- I brought him here to play in this game. I think he's, you know, he's, he's a good player. He can make it in this league. And, and, it, and, and again, as stories go, like you got to believe in the story, because I believe before the story happens to you. And, and, uh, literally Watford didn't have any money. They had just come down from the Premier League. They were in debt because they had to pay all these players, these extortionate wages and the, the windfall payments don't really clear that until they're looking for pre free players and just so happened they had two center backs that were 34 and so they, they, they needed some younger blood and so there there i was with this opportunity for all the right reasons and uh so they took me on trial and yep. uh yeah i was on trial for two weeks got to play in an incredible game with their first team against real zaragoza to kind of with my with my way to the world and 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 did enough in that game to to get my first professional contract and, and it was a one-year 25,000 pound deal. <laughs> but to me, that was like paradise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, it's so incredible. There's so much, I was listening to um, someone give an interview a while ago, like a long time ago. And they talked about, they said, everybody gets luck every single day in their life. And the people that are quote unquote lucky are the ones that recognize the luck for what it is as an opportunity and make the most of it. They said it can be as simple as like, oh, wow, I got every every green light on the way to work or training. Great. And some people just let the moment slip by. And other people see it as, oh, I got 15 extra minutes that I can focus on what I want to do, which is this development, which will lead me to this other opportunity and on and on and on and on and on. And then, and I firmly believe you scale that, right, to something that you're focusing on, which is, all right, well, every single opportunity, I got three minutes here, I got to jump this division, now I'm focusing on getting fit, and I've been running track, so I'm thinking about endurance, and I've been thinking about the communicating by playing with basketball, and yeah, da-da-da-da-da, everything that you've been working on has been an opportunity to mold you into the type of player that finds himself in the situation, I say finds himself with air quotes, right? But is in this situation for a reason because of the relationships you've made and the work that you forged to get to this point to where Watford is able to see you and say, hey, let's talk Turkey, so to speak. A hundred percent, you know, and, and again, it was just a series of many opportunities that allowed me to get to the big one. And I think, you know, I think that the one thing that it, that really is important in that journey is is that when you get that one, when you get those opportunities, you got to be ready for them and you got to take them yes. with both hands because because you come from the other side of the street, because you you flip from the other side of the coin, like you don't get many opportunities, you know, and, and I and I come from that world where, you know, opportunities were few and, and, and I needed to make sure that when I got them, I took them and, and, and that continued throughout my whole career. I want to talk to you about um, there's two. So there's two sort of perspectives I want to have. One is I want to know what your mindset was the first time you got called up for the U.S. national team. And then comparing that with when you were able to take the field for the national team at the World Cup. That was sort of the first question I was going to ask right out of the gate. And then we went to the, the detoxing route. So I want to I want to bring it back there and talk about sort of those two moments in time and what your your mentality was like for each of those. And explain again which one which one you want first? Sure. So the very the very first time you got called up for the national team first and then comparing that with taking the field at the World Cup in 2010. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it was a crazy timing because as I as I scored the goal and got man of the match in front of 80,000 people at the Millennium Stadium in Wales to get promoted to the Premier League, they were announcing the 20th 
23-man squad for the 2006 World Cup. And so, like, the week after, right? Yeah. And so, all of a sudden, this American scores, gets man of the match in front of this thing, this most lucrative game in sports, and nobody in America has ever heard of this guy? Who is this guy? Where is he playing? <laughs> how does he get to here? And and how is he getting man of the match? And, like, and that is a Premier League player. And he's not playing for our national team? What's that? Right. And so, that was kind of the coming out party as to, like, who is this Jade America guy? And how the hell did he get here? Because yeah. none of us have ever heard of him. And so in a way it was that first, that kind of initial shock to be that. And then also it was like, I am going to be playing at Manchester United next year. I am going to be playing at Chelsea next year. Like that carries weight that does things. And so, you know, in the, in a way it was kind of like perfect timing because I had a whole four year cycle to focus on, to go and make the next one. But the fact that like that, that time I could be even in a conversation with those types of players, like a McBride and a Bocanegra and like, who's this other center back? Like both like Bocanegra, like what? Like that's, that's crazy. And so for me, my first time to even think about the national team was then. And then as I started to be a Premier League player and play play well, I, that's when I got my first call from Bob. He's just saying, hey, I, I just want to let you know, I, I recognize your name from Chicago, but, you know, I just, I, I've seen you've come a long way from that. <laughs> and uh, I just wanted to, hey, congratulate you on that. But just want to let you know, as we move into this four-year cycle, like I want you to try to be a part of this player pool. Uh, by no means does that mean you play, but I just want to say you're on a radar kind of idea. Um, and so I'll, I'll be looking for you. And so then like a couple of weeks later, we had our first friendly, I can't remember, um, it was actually a two leg. We, we played um, in uh, Tampa Bay. And then we had a, a, a our second game was in um, in Dallas against uh, uh, Guatemala. And so he'd come as a two legger. So he's like, maybe if you don't play in the first game, I'll try to play in the second. And so I ended up getting getting my first cap against Guatemala. Funny enough, against one of my college teammates uh, who ended up playing for the Guatemala national team. Uh, again, too small small school guys kind of making it getting their dbs and, and playing around those times was pretty special think, for me as my first was at, as my first I, think I was at that game sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but i was like i think i was at that game that was at pizza hut park now toyota stadium it was right yeah, yeah against guatemala yeah, yeah yeah i think yeah. kenny was kenny did kenny cooper suit up during that game mm, don't he remember made, that Probably, made a different game. Might, might have been yeah, yeah no sorry. it was oh no all good all good so that was <laughs> kind of my first my first yeah. idea and then you know i think it helps to stay calm in the national team when you lead in your club. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. again, I was, I was by my, by my third season, but the, even the premier league season, I was, I was one of the leaders in that locker room. And, and so for me to be able to walk into a national team as a, someone that's playing against Manchester United and Ronaldo, those types of players every week, it, it allowed me to really walk into the national team with probably more confidence than I would have had if I was like, just a, you know, playing in the MLS or like at that time, you know, I think I, because I had played at that level and had success at that level and, and, and been able to test myself again with that feedback approach, like, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And all of a sudden you're like, you're getting me out of the match for 80,000 and you're playing against Manchester United next week. I think that validates you enough to think that you can walk into the national team with some confidence. Yeah. And again, that was it was it was still with a humble approach because I knew I wasn't I wasn't going to be a starter. And, and and again, I got my first start and a first cap, but I wasn't I wasn't. Gucci Anieu and 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 yeah. Bocanegra at the time, and so just like any apprenticeship or anything, any new team you come into, you know these guys have played in two World Cups before I even met me, you know what I mean? Right. And so all of a sudden it's like, or one World Cup, sorry, at those guys especially, like my future my future center back partners, but at the end of the day, 
you know, I played against Carlos at Fulham before I got my first cap. So we had already like embraced and had, you know, talked about going out for beers in London or whatever. Like he's <laughs> like, oh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you soon from the national team. So again, like I'm coming off the field playing against those guys already. And so when I came into my first caps and then, and, and, and like, again, I'm sitting at the table with Bocanegra and, and Tim Howard on my first ever cap. So, which was kind of strange, like a lot, I guess I was fortunate in those ways to be in that position where I could, I could sit at the head table in my first cap. Like that's pretty rare. I know that, but it was because of what I had done kind of in the dark and because of the role that I had earned at Watford. Yeah. You know, that was, that's, I think it goes such a long way too. When, when you're thinking about the dynamics of, of an inner, of an international squad and having that leadership at club level, especially against the caliber of players that you talked about, and then bringing that into the type of experience. It's hard to to quantify that when you have, I think you can be a, an extremely talented player and not be in a leadership position, and it's going to hit different versus a player that is in the leadership position. I mean, obviously, I think that's, that's a little obvious, but still um, allowing you to kind of come in with that confidence, even though it was your first cap that you talked about, but having that level of confidence was huge. Now, there was a little but thing. I think just, the, just to add oh, on yes. to that point, yeah, I, yeah. Think I think it's important that, that we did because I know you touched on this earlier in the show. It's like, what was the difference in that 2010 team? And I think that was one of the right. big things that I think all of us, and including you, you said there was something about that team. And I think my point is that I think that might have been that something. Is that like, if you look across that team, Tim Howard was captain at Everton. Steve Trundle was captain at Hanover. Carlos Bocanegra was captain at Fulham. I was captain at Watford. Uh, Stu Holden had been had, had worn the armband at Bolton. You know, uh, Michael Bradley was wearing his armband in, in Holland at the time. Uh, Clint Dempsey had worn armbands. You know, you got guys up and down. Oh, again, Landon, Landon Donovan, of course, yep. was captain on a lot of different teams that he was playing on at that point. You know, you look at those leadership roles down the team in most of the time leadership is character you know you, it's hard to manage character if you don't have any and so and so within that i think that's that's what our team had in abundance but we loved each other too like we liked playing with each other we loved challenging each other we all hung off off the field and i think like all of those pieces really made that team special yeah. but especially that leadership piece yeah that's a really that's a really good point um and that makes a lot of sense right you talked about the leadership aspect and and that is something that it really can't be understated. It goes so, so far. Um, now getting to get onto the field in South Africa, how did that hit for you personally getting to walk out there? I mean, it's the ultimate dream of every footballer. You know, at the end of the day, you don't know you're going to play for your national team until you start playing really well for your club. Right. But it's always this next dream, right? And then the ultimate dream is I get to play for my country. You know what I mean? And and, and especially yeah. play for your country. But then the last little piece is I get to play for my country in a World Cup. Like, because it's the only time that the eyeballs are watching outside of like, you know, we always say the eyeballs are much heavier at the World Cup because yeah. there's way more of them. Right. And when you play, when you play at a World Cup, you know that once every four years, the world is watching. And I mean, yeah. billions of eyeballs. And so if you think about what that looks like and what that feels like, it's a different feeling because you walk in with a different amount of pressure. But as we always said, if you don't, if you don't like the pressure, you shouldn't be on the plane, and 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 that's why we're that's why we do that. We want that pressure, and I know our team did. I know I did as a player. You know, because that means you're doing things that are 
like making you one of the best players in the world. Like you want that feeling if, if you, if that's your aspiration, if that's who you want to be, that's where you want, you know, like as a person, that's where, that's where you want to be in the stadiums is on that field representing it and wearing those, those stripes and those, and those stars. And so, you know, I think for me, that was the ultimate, you know, getting that opportunity to do that. Again, I sat on the bench for two years behind those guys before the Conf- Confederations Cup in 2009. Yeah. That was kind of my first kind of coming out party. Um, I got to play three games in a row. Again, my, my first. <laughs> yeah. And everyone knows I like to party. So, like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like it was perfect for me to, to play my first real three starts were Brazil, Egypt, and um, and Italy. Yeah. And so I, I got to play against the best in the, in my opportunities to sit. And, again, I sat on that bench, traveled around the world, and traveled everywhere to with no playing time. Beginning, and I always talk about, like, schedule of an international you know i was having a midweek game in mexico city sitting on the bench landing friday afternoon and then having to play for watford again on saturday and leave my team out like that's really hard to do um, yeah. even from a physiological schedule perspective or a jet lag you know like, that people forget that you know our u.s national team players the amount of travel they have to do if they play in europe during the yeah. two years of world cup qualifying during the times where you're you know you're with your club in your country in these in these kind of two and a half years to prep before a world cup like that's where the real miles are and so i was managing those types of things while still trying to stay you know you got to play well for your club so you still got to play well on that saturday but at the same time you still want to play for your country so you want to go you want to represent your country you want to you know put in that extra effort so i at that time i was really learning about the management skill of that you know really taking care of yourself sure you know recovery and nutrition and hydration and all these things that really make the big difference when you when you have a schedule like that um was good and then you, again you got to take the opportunity when you get it even if you got to sit on the bench for two years you know i had you know, i had three games and after those three games i became the starter and so you know we ended up losing or beating spain but then losing to brazil in the final and, and then moving into the world cup year i was i was the starter and so you know, again, you don't want to, once you get that opportunity, you don't want to get that back. Right. So yeah. <laughs> I was, I was very, uh, I was very focused on making sure that we had that happened. And, 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 and I was able to, again, make that 23 man squad to South Africa. I love it. It's, uh, man, I, I can, <laughs> I was waiting tables in a, at an Italian restaurant in uh, Brownwood, Texas, a small town in Texas during the summer of 2009. And let me tell you, I took the day off to watch the 2009 Confederations Cup semifinal game against Spain. And the owners of the restaurant uh, liked me because I was uh, this kid in Texas that knew so much about soccer. They were um, they were uh, from Europe. And so I just remember we all crowded around the bar and watched. And when Altidore scored the first goal. Beer was flying everywhere. And then when Clint got the second goal, more beer was going everywhere. And people, it was, you know, lunchtime and it was empty. And the few old folks that were there were so confused. It was a wonderful time. So I will never forget that particular <laughs> memory of the Confederation. I mean, Cup technically, that's, for that's that. probably the greatest national team performance that's ever been on a, yeah. on a field, like arguably. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, and they, they were unbeaten in like two and a half years or something. Yes. They and then they went out. The then they went unbeaten again for another two and a half years after we beat yep. them. Um, and so, and again, if you look, if you watch that game, we deservedly beat them. Like it, yes. they weren't, it wasn't a, it wasn't a fluke. Like, like no. we, we did everything. Yes. They had a couple of chances but that we were playing defensive. Right. So we were playing behind right. 11 and that was tactical with our counterattack play with Josie and Clint up top. So it's like, you know, we had those, we, we had them and, and, and we, yeah. we deserved to win that game. And again, I think that was another one of those, how do you, how do you define putting soccer on the map in America? And there's a couple, 
you know, you can look yeah. at the South Korea World Cup and a couple of those matches. And then you got to look, you know, again, in, in my era, it was, you know, the Spain game, getting to the final, losing 3-2 to Brazil in the final. Again, if yeah. we win that game and we're, we're Confederations Cup champions, like, does yeah. that change the trajectory of U.S. soccer? I say maybe. I say yeah. probably. You know, because now we've won major tournaments and now our belief systems changed as far as how, what we're capable of. And I think I looked at that moment as actually a missed opportunity because we were up two zip. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I always do say that uh, um, as much as you can say you're 2 0 up on Brazil, there's nothing more beautiful to watch than a free flowing Brazilian team that just lights three past you like it's effortless as yeah. they as they as they did in the second half they just picked us apart and watching <laughs> watching this the brazilians be creative on that field to live with like a relentless like you know like we don't care we're just gonna play free here because we got nothing to lose was actually as hard as it was uh, to, to watch those balls go in it was actually quite beautiful <laughs> yeah no that's that's a good way to put it for sure um well, this year's theme of the Detox podcast is about reconnection. So I think in a lot of ways, that can mean a lot of different things. So obviously, it's 2023. Um, uh, last year, it really felt like a collective reemergence into quote-unquote normal or just day-to-day -day life of traveling, gatherings, um, certainly from a sports perspective, a capacity perspective, a vacation perspective, right? A lot of people were finally sort of reconnecting uh, for some of the first times. And so for this year, I, I like to kind of look at themes in some of these interviews and stories and see how it ties into the larger theme. So with the theme of reconnection, it's thinking about how maybe lessons we've learned in the past, we come back and revisit at a later date. So for you, having left Chicago, gone across the pond, had this entire wonderful career, now to come back to North America and be the first player to sign for the Vancouver Whitecaps when they're in MLS, what was that sort of almost um, continental homecoming like for you in that moment? Um, well, it was an interesting time for me because, again, like a lot of this talk of like at the time, the, all the ex-Americans would be like 34, they'd come back to the MLS and like, oh, it's a retirement league for ex-pros and like old ex-old old internationals and stuff. And I, you know, I got this opportunity. I was 30. I was in the prime of my career, but I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be the 34 year old that just came here to pick up a paycheck and was off the right. pace and all the things. Like I, I knew that I knew that I didn't want to be that. That was part of my thought process. I had a couple moves in Europe that didn't pan out. I had a move to Celtic and then a move to, uh, to Nice and then a, a, a Sparta Braga in, in Portugal were the only, were the three teams. And it's in, in, when you move in this in in this game, especially in transfer windows and things, it usually it's, it starts with uh, somebody else getting moved first. So let's be, so if Celtic again at the time they had they had a center back they were trying to move on so then they can bring me in because everyone has already they already have set wages, and if you can't get that person off the wages, you can't bring in the person on the new wages. Right. And so, I mean, even I remember you guys you remember a, a center back named William Gallas. I played for Chelsea yep. and Arsenal. Yep. So he was the number one center back in our category and a bunch of other things. And so he didn't even get a move after the World Cup. Wow. And so he couldn't find a team and I couldn't. Uh, it, nothing was moving. There were the move, the, the market didn't move much in my market. Mm. Yeah. And at the same time, the Vancouver Whitecaps were doing a lot of movement to try to get me here. And, you know, I, I, I came back down to this whole idea of a loyalty in the UK. So I played for this team for six and a half years. I play over 200 games for them. I become the first American captain 
And I go, I'm from Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is like the most loyal sports organization yeah. in, in, yeah. in the NFL. And that's built around community. And so I was like, I come from that environment. I'm built like that. I am like that. And I have that at Watford. I'm like, I'm not going to go sign a sideways contract with Stoke just so I can stay in the UK. You know, I'm not going to yeah. do that. I, I'm going to, I'm going to protect my legacy for a place like Watford that I love. And I don't want to, I don't want a sideways move. And so there was a couple sideways moves that weren't really working. And then I was like, I haven't actually been home. I've been in England for eight years by myself. My parents would come once or twice a year. My brother would maybe come once every couple of years. And then my friends would dot in every now and then. So again, I've been over there by myself for eight years. And and I, I believe that, you know, it's much more fun to enjoy these games when all your buddies and family are in the stands. Like yeah. it is, it's better it, because you get to enjoy it with you that, you know, it's, it's, it's more of a communal thing. And um, I think I was at a time where, again, I got this really unique opportunity from a leadership perspective. You know, again, I'd earned the right to be a leader at Watford, play in the Premier League, do all these things. But, you know, at the end of the day, to be the first signing of a franchise is a pretty unique opportunity. Because, again, that doesn't really yeah. exist in modern day sports, like a whole new team that needs, yeah. needs someone to help build the team around. Like, again, it wasn't a new team in, 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 as a as a as a team it was a, it was new it was a new team in the mls but they were coming up from the lower division they'd have a bunch of years in struggle in vancouver so they were but they were ready to blow the roof off because vancouver's an incredible town with an incredible soccer history like it's one of the first yep. three original franchises in the nasl so again they, it's one of the founding communities of soccer in north america so i i knew the history i knew that i could come back to a place just play near and around my friends and family and in the end, from that opportunity and that leadership and that, that, that whole, how do you like evolve your career and get the most out of it? That's why Vancouver made the most sense. I love that. That was, well, you, sir, have lived such an incredible life and had an incredible career. I want to know as we're, as we're wrapping up, um, is there maybe one, uh, I would say maybe one short piece of advice that you like to give um, maybe young athletes that are starting out, uh, a piece of wisdom that you like to impart on them. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, one thing that we teach through all of our programs and we do, we do any kind of development now, and, but the idea of development, um, and kind of, I've had to look at my story in a lot of different ways through a lot of different vehicles over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years. And I think, you know, the pillars that we work from and how do you unlock your truest potential? is uh you know our, our four pillars at rise and shine how we do this what what the movie is based on all this kind of thing um it's about you know these are in order and it's kind of four terms that that, w that we make sure that people live by and again one unlocks the next and so uh it's belief so first you must believe if you, if you don't believe it you probably won't do it you know or you won't be able to do whatever it is that you believe that you think you can because you don't believe in it so the first thing you got to do is believe and so belief is the first pillar uh respect is the second pillar, you know, as you walk into this challenge, you don't just, you have to respect yourself. You have to respect your fellow person. Uh, but the last thing is you have to respect your environment. And, you know, so if I was just an naive American, not respecting my environment of England, England would have spit me up and chewed me up and spit me out in an instant. But I respected yeah. the, the, the place. I respected my path. I, I knew I have to sit on the bench and shut up and prove things before I would say anything. And if I wasn't inspecting, expect, uh, you know, appreciating that environment and respecting that environment, I probably would have gotten to where I got to. So that respect piece is really big. And moving into there, once you unlock that, now it's about the work. You know, work ethic is, is is the third pillar, and work ethic is is what we teach about. It's the work ethic is the everyone says you got to work hard. We know that to do anything in life to be successful, you have to work hard. But work ethic is doing it when you don't want to. 
that's the difference of work ethic and hard work and, and, and work ethic is when you look outside and it's pissing down rain and it's February and you're like, I got to go for this run to stay fit for my opportunity. I don't want to do that. There's a lot of people that will stay in bed and they watch it or they'll turn on the TV instead because they'll do it later and then they won't. And, 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 and work ethic is the thing that fights up against that. Cause when I have work ethic, I do it cause I have to, and I do it cause I want to, and I do it cause I'm disciplined in that. And so I think work ethic is, 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 is different than hard work. And so, but that's the third one because you gotta, you really do, you, you gotta, you gotta work through these types of things uh, in order to make them happen. And, um, opening up the last one is when you work hard and you do all these things, what happens is you create adversity for yourself. You get injured. Somebody doesn't pick you. Your, your, your mom dies. You know, lots of different adversities will happen and adversity is guaranteed in this life. And so I think um, the last thing and what that unlocks is, uh, is, is positivity. Cause when, when things go wrong, when things are, when your back's up against the wall, when things aren't going your way, positivity gets you through that positivity breaks you through challenges and things like that because there's there's positives in all things it's just it's just about your focus and what you're looking at if you start blaming other people if you start doing all these things you're not focusing on the positive and the silver linings in life and i was very much on the positive side of my adversities of the opportunities that maybe i failed in i was like well that was kind of that wasn't what i ideal but what did i learn from that what were the good parts about that what can i take moving into the next piece from that adversity and that positivity is what breaks you through it gives you that confidence to keep going and so those are the four belief respect work ethic positivity that's the rise and shine mat motto i love it i love it well we are, uh, thank you for that. We are heading into the final part of the episode. It's a segment I call uh, Things to Check Out. It's where I provide a recommendation of something uh, to read, watch, and or listen to for the listeners, and I invite my guests to do the same. Uh, so I will go ahead and go first. Uh, uh, all of mine are sports and or soccer related. I don't think that's any surprise. In general, I'm a huge fan, but also it ties in with the theme of the episode. Um, book, a book that I'm reading right now um, is a fascinating one uh, that I don't think a lot of people have heard of or have picked up. It's called Emerald Exiles. It's by Barry Landy. It's, it's called How the Irish Made Their Mark on World Football. It was recommended to me uh, by a mutual friend. But what I find that's interesting in the book that ties into what you said earlier about it's the world's game, it's not the U.S.'s game, there's countless stories of these Irish footballers who have gone to uh, Cambodia and all of these different uh, leagues across the world to sort of chart their own path to success. And it is fascinating. Uh, it is a fascinating story. So I recommend that uh, show. I think a lot of people have heard of this, but I'll go ahead and recommend it. Welcome to Wrexham. It chronicles the Wrexham uh, acquisition of Ryan Reynolds and uh, their their path to get from the lower divisions of English football all the way up to maybe one day the Premier League. And then Great podcast. Show. Yeah, it's a fantastic show. And the what's happening in real life as well uh, is also fascinating with the recent cup set, if you will. Um, but uh, and then podcast, I'm a huge fan of the series American Prodigy on Blue Wire. The first season had uh, Grant Wall, rest in peace, uh, doing a, a cover of Freddie Adu. And that was that's what drew me in. And then they've done subsequent seasons on Kid and Griffey Jr. One of the most recent ones featured a history of black female gymnasts in the U.S. gymnastics program. That was quite good as well. Uh, so that, oh, oh, and then, of course, for show, I know we've talked about it before. We'll put it uh, in the show notes as well. But Rise and Shine, the Jay Demerit story, uh, everything we've been talking about, it's in that documentary. I highly recommend it. Uh, you should check it out. So, Jay, what is something listeners could read, watch, and or listen to? Ooh, uh, well, I got a couple. Uh, sure. I've actually been, uh, lately I've been reading 
um, a book called Breathe. I think its name's James Nestor's is a very popular book um, about the importance of breath. Um, it's incredible, like it, as an athlete, but just as a normal human being about how important the breath is to us, um, especially like how we breathe through our nose, how we sleep at night and, and, and all those types of things and the health benefits that come along with breathing properly. It doesn't mean you have to go to breath work classes. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a natural practice of how we understand how our systems work in our bodies that allow us to breathe properly, which will allow our body to take care of itself better. Um, incredible, incredible book. I highly recommend that. Um, shows. Um, I mean, I've been watching Yellowstone. I do like Yellowstone from a from a, from a production standpoint, from a a non production standpoint, or like in a, from a personal standpoint. I, I've I've actually just watched the masterclass on Howard Schultz, who is who started Starbucks. I learned a lot, just a lot about entrepreneurship and that building. Like I'm pitching on a lot of things we're doing with our Rise and Shine app with EA, and uh, I learned that Starbucks pitched 242 times before they got funding. And so as I fundraise. Wow. I got some uh, I got some good inspiration from that because you know fundraising is very challenging, yeah. and uh, throughout that masterclass I was watching on the flight on my way back from the coaches conference in Philly last weekend, um, which was a good one. I, I, with that coaches conference, I'll give some love to some of the the guys out there doing cool podcasts within our region and within our sport. I like the Cooligans in New York; they're doing awesome stuff. They're quite funny guys. They're really well versed in the game, but again, you want that comedy element to the sport. I like them as well as the Men in Blazers, uh, who again do a great job, mostly on the East Coast. Um, but uh, again, great soccer podcast to listen to. Um, and yeah, those, that's kind of my roundup for now. I love it. Well, Jay, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, all social medias are D6 Merit. Um, is is my Instagram, my uh, my Twitter. Uh, all those types of things. Again, look out for the Rise and Shine app coming. Hopefully this year we'll launch. Again, this is an app project we're building uh, to empower the next generation, especially, but also through corporations and institutions uh, to create more gamified learning through interactive technology. So it's like a masterclass, TikTok, um, you know, came together for with purpose, uh, not not with external validation. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it gives you a much, much cooler place to practice mental health and to, and to practice and learn from the best in the world at certain topics. And again, it's all built around the nine forms of intelligence. And so it creates a greater understanding and a more authentic understanding uh, of yourself as, as you go through these, these lessons and these episodes and, and take these challenges from these really cool brands and people. So uh, look out for that. Hopefully this, this year, risexshine.com is that website. Um, again, we're, we're still making some improvements on that right now as we start to look to launch in the beginning of the year, or sorry, mid, mid-year. But again, having EA as our as our founding partner gives us some validity entering yeah. into the market to say, you know, take a look at this. And so, so again, look out for Rise and Shine the app uh, coming later this year. I love it. Well, Jay, thank you so much for being on the show. This is for me especially has been a true delight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure, Joe. Thanks as always. Keep doing what keep doing great work. Appreciate it. Well, listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys.
Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.